0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to FedLife, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment
1: policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temen welcome to the show. You may have heard that the Government Accountability Office is looking into the project that led to the new website for the Thrift Savings Plan. Now, we won't know what GAO comes up with until next year. In the meantime, the contractor Accenture was called in before the TSP board at its last meeting to discuss continuing issues with that site. I got an update from the TSP external affairs director, Kim Weaver. And some of the chief functions that people were complaining about, it looks like you have made progress on those. And let's begin with just being able to specify your monthly withdrawal or your minimum required distribution. That was, I think, making people tear their hair out. Is that largely past us now?
0: It has been totally fixed. You can set your monthly payment as low as $25 and in whatever amount
1: you want to take. And you can change that month by month if you want.
0: You can, and the other improvement is that you can change that installment amount with just one phone call. Previously, we were having to call in cancel the amount you were getting, and then call back and restart. That has been revamped, and you can now change your monthly payment with just one phone call to the thrift line.
1: But you need a phone call. You can't do it through the website.
0: And that's what I was just going to say. Coming in the spring, you will be able to do that online, and so you won't have to call the thrift line at all. I don't have anything more specific than spring, but it is coming.
1: At the board meeting, Accenture, the contractor was there. I mean, did the board kind of say, hey, folks, you really got to get this turned around?
0: They did. The board members were asking some, I would say, pointed questions to the Accenture officials who were there and expressing the fact because, of course, our board members are hearing directly from participants as well. So they're well aware of the challenges and the frustrations that people are feeling not only as fiduciaries do they want to get it fixed, but as human beings, they want to make it as easy as possible.
1: I figure if I'm getting email, the board must be getting a lot more email because uh, I
0: get I
1: get requests for help and I I can't help people. I don't have access to it and it's not really my authority to, to do that. So that's good to hear. What are some of the other issues? I mean people were wondering about just the phone call time. What are the trends there and whether the question could be answered when they did reach someone?
0: So as to the second question, every call center rep, we call them PSRs. Every PSR went through refresher training. So to the question you just posed, if we answer the phone quickly, that's great. But if you get somebody who then can't help you, that's not as great. And so every PSR went through refresher training to make sure that they understood our program and understood their specialty because different call center reps focus on different issues, withdrawals, loans, whatever. And then the other thing that we did was we added in statements to TSP's My Account. So participants can log into their TSP My Account and in their secure mailbox, they will see quarter one and quarter two of 2022 statements and the annual 2021 statement. And that will provide a lot more information to people so that they can see an entire two-year cycle of their
1: TSP. And how far back in history can people look at what they've been doing with TSP? And in the old website, could they go back forever?
0: In the previous website, they could go back to, I believe, 2003. In the current website, you can go back to June 1st of 2022 because that's when we switched over. If you need statements or information prior to that, you can call the thrift line and we will mail you statements.
1: No plans to load that old data up so that people can do that on a self-service basis?
0: So the reason we didn't was we looked at the people who had accessed it, how frequently that data was used And we determined that based on the usage versus the money and the security of having that live data available, we didn't transfer it over. But as I said, if people want it, they can call in and get that, the older statements.
1: We are speaking with Kim Weaver. She is the Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. And just getting back to the phone question for a moment, according to your results from the most recent month, There were 240,000 calls queued up, 230,946 answered. So you have just a very small number that were not answered. Is that pretty much within your metrics and hope for customer experience? I mean, it's not like the IRS, which doesn't answer any of them.
0: Roughly 80% of the calls were being answered in less than 20 seconds, which is pretty darn good. What we're focusing on at this point is continuing that service level. And we also have 35% repeat callers, which means that they either didn't really get the answer they needed the first time around or that their issue hasn't been resolved. And so we're focusing on trying to reach out to those people And be proactive and sort of identify people who are calling back repeatedly and reaching out to them to find out what exactly the issue is and how it can be resolved.
1: And what is the integration on the back end there? That is to say, if someone is calling in and you give your credentials to the rep on the phone... Are they also using the same website and the same system to look up things and help answer questions?
0: Yes. The representative has access to the participants' data. They don't have access, because it's not live, to like the previous historical data. So if I called and I said, I want my balance from 2018 in December, they don't have immediate access to that because it's not live data. But they do have information to, we dispersed your monthly payment on X date, and it was this amount with this amount of tax withholding, for
1: example. And for people that want to move funds around from one fund to the other, Those types of activities, just general maintenance of your account, according to one's own judgment, that's all fully operational?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. And that has been since day one. And you can do that online. You can log
1: into your TSP
0: My Account and you can move money as you desire.
1: So if you feel confident, you can move it some percentage out of the G fund into one of the other hotter funds if you feel like it. Exactly. And we should also point out that besides online and calls, you get email and written correspondence. And the distinction between the two in the monthly report says that people still write letters to a TSP. Oh, absolutely. You've got to remember that a big chunk
0: of our participants are postal employees. As a former postal employee myself, letters are still in our lexicon, as it were. And so we respond to whatever channel we get them in. If we get letters, we respond to those. We respond to emails, we answer phone calls. Ava is the bot that is there. That has been enhanced to be more useful to people. If you wanna call in, some people like to call in to the thrift line and go through the system to get like their balance, for example, and you need a pin number, much like you do with a bank or an insurance company. You can now change that pin number through AVA. And so that will assist you if you choose to use the IVR system to get your account information.
1: Just from looking at the statistics, it seems like you really got to get those Sirs people and some of the older folks to at least get to the email age, because the one area where you really have a backlog of substantial numbers is written correspondence. Right now, there yes. are uh, 4,443 outstanding. There's only a couple of hundred emails outstanding.
0: Yes, and that's exactly true. And it's, as we, we both know, right, letters seem to take longer than emails. You can respond to an email relatively quickly. Letters just take a little longer. And we are working on that.
1: And just, if you would, maybe before we uh, wrap up here, just characterize the board's feelings about Accenture, about the site. Are they optimistic now? And do they feel like they're out of the woods?
0: I think we're out of the woods, yes. But I don't think that we're done. And in fact, the board asked Accenture to come back again relatively soon. And I don't have timing for when relatively soon is. But the board's interest level is not abated. And obviously, We as FRTIB staff are continuing to work with Accenture to make changes, to address problem areas, but it is stabilizing and we're able to address problems faster, which I think is really key to a more mature program.
1: And that's Kim Weaver, Director of External Affairs at the Federal Thrift Retirement Investment Board. We'll take a short break when we return a few things agencies could do to sell federal employees on why agency life isn't so bad. This is FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. We often concentrate on what's tough about federal employment, but Abe Grungold, the retired federal manager and financial consultant who joins us regularly, had a few ideas for what management can do to highlight what's good about federal employment and encourage people to stay in public service.
2: The government has done some good things in the area of employee retention, but they seem to only focus on certain employee classifications, such as parity pay for the uh, Office of Comptroller employees and parity pay for the Securities and Exchange Commission employees, because these employees have certain skills that they have learned in their agency, and they tend to be recruited away to the private sector. So these agencies have instituted parity pay to keep them. And another employee group, the TSAs, employees who are going to be getting an increase in salary.
1: Yes, and uh, I don't know what the types of commensurate jobs might exist outside of government for transportation security officers, although they do have a lot of psychological skill and observational skills so it may not be directly comparable, but I think they have skills that are definitely usable. But for Office of the Comptroller and the SEC, I mean there are countless jobs across the government, everybody at Veterans Affairs, nurses, doctors, medical practitioners of all sorts, schedulers, whose skills are in demand externally. So it seems like a pretty limited group for parity pay.
2: Yes, well, also in the VA, some of the nurses have been getting increase in salaries as well as they're trying to give physicians an increase in salary. But just going back to TSA, the TSA employees, there has been about 20% in turnover rate because TSA employees earn... A beginning salary of forty to $50,000. And in those cities like San Francisco and New York, a TSA employee just can't live on that low salary. So there is a high turnover in certain airports across the country.
1: Yes. In fact, I think one of the other benefits they have received in recent years is more regularity in their shifts. So if they want to work a second job, I think early on, the agency considered it a security concern if they didn't move people around so they didn't have predictable shifts, which could mean predictable encounters with the same travelers over and over. I think that's what the theory was. But, you know, if you don't know what your shifts are going to be in a given week, it's pretty hard to plan that side job to augment your income.
2: Yes. Also regarding hours during the work week, many agencies have instituted the 410 schedule, and the 549 schedule where it gives them a day or two days off every pay period. That was a benefit that I really enjoyed as a federal employee. And in my last five years with the government, I was teleworking with my agency. Now due to the pandemic, the government was trying to put a telework policy in every agency that they could for those employees who could work telework. Obviously you can't have postal carriers teleworking or VA nurses or VA doctors. They have to be in the hospital and postal employees have to deliver the mail. But as the pandemic ended, a lot of employees did not want to return to work. So it was good that the government has tried to salvage this telework policy. But they still could do better with certain areas with respect to benefits.
1: Sure. And we'll get to that in a moment. We're speaking with Abe Grungold. He's a financial coach and retired federal manager. And before we get to that, I was going to say that that idea of four by ten, you know, the four-day work week, but ten hours, so the employer, the government, is still getting its 40 hours that is very popular. And you're starting to hear the four day work week creep out into state level and even in some industries. The ramifications are complicated, and you can see where it could help and hurt different areas like customer service. But it seems to be gaining ground.
2: Yes. I worked long double ships and 24 hour ships when I worked in the private sector in a hospital. So when I came into the government, And they brought out the, they called it flexible schedule. They brought that out in the 90s. And that was a very attractive benefit for every employee, including managers. You get one day off or two days off every pay period. It's 26 to 52 extra days off a year. So it's a wonderful benefit. For employees.
1: Sure and I would just say uh, as a young reporter I work something called a split shift. <laughs> I don't think anyone would ever recommend that. That's only for the very young and naive let's put it that way. All right so what are some things you think the government could do on the benefits side as you mentioned to enhance that idea of retention?
2: Well the key to retaining employees is the government needs to educate every federal employee about their benefits to show them that their benefits are more valuable than if you were to go out in the private sector. My top three benefits that I'd like to discuss, one is the Federal Health Benefits, FEHB. The second is the Fegley Life Insurance Benefit. And the third is the Thrift Savings Plan, the TSP. That is the most important benefit of all, and that's why I was saving that for
1: last. Well, I would say that the defined pension benefit, which FERS employees still have, in addition to the TSP, is something that's tremendous. Even though it's not as big as the old civil service retirement system pension of years ago, most of those people are sort of passing out of the, uh, of the phase here. But besides the TSP, the defined benefit pension, that's pretty darn good, too.
2: Well, the reason I didn't mention the FERS annuity is you still have to put in a considerable number of years in order to obtain that. Uh But if you start saving in your TSP early on, you're going to immediately see the immediate positive things of that benefit, which is the thrift savings plan. First of all, the health benefits, the government offers different plans where in the private sector, you may get only a few choices. Now, the government is also paying the lion's share of the premium. So even when a federal employee, when they are able to retire, they would only pay the same premium as if they were still working. But the thing that the government needs to educate employees on is that they need to understand the mechanics of their plan. They need to understand what benefits are provided, co-payments, co-insurance, out-of-pocket, out-of-pocket catastrophic loss. They need to understand every aspect of their health plan because they only seem to know it when they get ill or something occurs in their life. So it's a very important benefit. The uh, other very important benefit that the government provides its employees and they need to educate them on is the life insurance because in the private sector, employees usually have to fill out a questionnaire. They have to take a physical, they need to do some laboratory or medical testing, but in the government, they don't have to do that. They're automatically eligible and enrolled in the FEGLY life insurance policy. And this is a wonderful benefit because you are able to protect your beneficiaries from any debt in the event something happens to you.
1: And the other thing to consider too, just going back to the FEHB for a moment, is that those choices are available to you in retirement and your corporate plan no longer is once you retire.
2: Yes. Every federal employee, whether they're active or a retiree during open season, they can change their health plan. So they're able to see the difference from one plan to another. They're able to see all the premiums and they can make a very wise choice in those circumstances.
1: And just a word about the TSP because the current travails of the website, and by the way, just in recent days, they have been Mm -hmm. able to fix some of the functions that people were complaining about, but that's a short-term issue. We presume over the long-term, the TSP functionally like any other IRA, what, in your opinion, makes the TSP attractive relative to what other plans are available for IRAs?
2: Well, the real key point to the TSP is it's not exactly an IRA. It's a 401k plan. And you are allowed to put in to the maximum of what the IRS allows. But the government is giving you a 5% match That is the most critical part of the TSP, because in the private sector, yes, there are companies that have 401k plans, but they are not providing any type of match because they can't afford to do it. So in the government, in the entire history of the TSP, and I've been a participant for 35 years, I've always received that 5% match. It's never changed. And that is a 5% raise for every employee, and they must take advantage of that. And the government needs to educate employees about this, because I have clients who do not contribute 5% in order to get the 5% matching.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really an important point to be made, especially to people early in their careers, because they're looking at the debates going around Social Security and the predictions for Social Security insolvency. Lord knows what the fix, if any, will be for all that. So I think increasingly young people maybe are getting the idea, I better pack my own parachute here.
2: Yeah, the employees really have the responsibility to learn their benefits. But if the government wants to try to retain these employees, they need to educate them on how important their benefits are, especially the TSP. Because as a TSP member, if you put in a 20 to 30-year career, you have the potential of being a TSP millionaire, And that is very important, very important.
1: Right. It's actually not that difficult to get to that level over time if you're consistent and take that 5% match.
2: It is not difficult and really if you are investing aggressively with your tsp you can become a tsp billionaire if you make the five percent contribution receive the five percent match invest aggressively and at the end of 30 years there's a very likely chance you're going to be a tsp millionaire it all depends on the market too but it's a very good chance.
1: Retired federal manager and now financial consultant, Abe Grungold. Well, that's it for this week's FedLife. Be sure to let us know what's on your mind. Until next week, I'm Tom Tammond. Thanks for
0: listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.